and welcome to season four of The Volume Knob, the songs that saved your life. This week, Ophira and Let's Go Crazy. Hey everyone, and welcome to season four of my daughter's eighth or ninth favorite podcast. This is, of course, The Volume Knob, where on Mondays I get together with an amazing storyteller who tells me the story of the song that saved their life. If you're new here, welcome. The vets in the audience will know that when we say saved, we don't mean it literally. Uh, Think of this show as a place where you can hear deeply human, hopefully deeply relatable stories about the way music makes us feel. This season marks the last couple months of the second year I've been producing the show, and I can't say enough about how great the experience has been, about what it's meant to me through the pandemic and what your correspondence and and the work of these storytellers has done. Um, That said, this spring is turning out to be a little more hectic than I'd originally hoped. Those of you who subscribe to the newsletter know that I promised you this episode today on February the 7th, and I'm really glad that it's uh, gotten to you. Uh, That said, I'm going to have the first few episodes of season four come out every second week, as opposed to every week, until I've taken care of a few professional and personal things here in the home office. So the best way to stay up to date on the production schedule and to get previews of the guests who are going to be coming on the show is to become a subscriber to that newsletter. You can get over to www.volumenob.net and sign up. Okay, with all of that out of the way, I'm really excited to introduce you to this week's storyteller. Hey, my name is Ophira Eisenberg and I'm a comedian and storyteller and a writer. And the song that saved my life is Let's Go Crazy by Prince. I've been trying to get Ophira on the show forever. So it's very exciting for me that you get to hear this story. Ophira's story is super timely. Now that we're in season four or episode seven, I don't know which it is, of the pandemic. The story is about human connection, which I think many of us are starving for and have been starving for through the different waves. It's also a unique perspective on the pressure we put upon ourselves to have important and meaningful time with the people closest to us and how the pandemic has made those times seem all the more fleeting. Here's Afira. I got to say, this is a song that feels like I have been singing inside of my head for my entire life, but I will also admit that I'm a bit older than that. But it definitely goes through my mind more than any other song, even even today. And, you know, it starts with the classic funeral speech. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time, but I'm here to tell you. I used to write that speech on the front of all of my binders, and I would write it on desks, and then I would sing Let's Go Crazy in karaoke. Why? Because I'm a good singer? No, because I know every beat of that song as if it was in my soul. I would do a terrible job, but you would never not reward someone for just knowing a song really well. 
Now the lyrics. Because you may think, wait a second, let's go crazy. What is that even about? And you know, if you look it up, what no one knows, as with many Prince songs, what is it about? But you just read this thing that, like all of his songs, they're about religion and battling with the devil. That is never what it's meant for me. Let's go crazy has nonsensical, has always meant to me, I guess that life is ridiculous. So instead of letting it drive you crazy, own it, like, let's go crazy. You know, don't take it so seriously. We're just, we're all just running around like idiots searching for the yellow banana until they put us in the truck. Seriously, that's what it meant to me. It's like, we're all idiots running around. So let's just go crazy. Let's get nuts. Don't take it so seriously. (laughs) I take everything seriously, which is the joke. And if you're like me, over the course of the last year and a half, you have really thought about what you want to take seriously and not seriously when it comes to people you want in your life or maybe ones you can let go of and how you want to rejigger things. Uh, And I have really thought, uh, again, about that sort of never squander these moments anymore. And when the world opens back up, I'm going to do things differently and I'm, I'm not going to put up with the the bullshit. You know, I am going to savor every moment of the things that are truly important to me and stop living like I'll get to it tomorrow. I'm going to hang on to everything in a different way before it gets taken away. And I will tell you that I feel that way a little bit about my family. Fira grew up in a big family in Calgary. She's the youngest of six siblings, and there's a really big age spread between her and her eldest brother. The result of that is that she more or less grew up with one of her older brothers and her sister, Abigail, who's a full decade older than she is. Abigail was visiting Ophira in New York in March of 2020 when the pandemic shit started to hit the fan. It's always a big deal when any of my family comes to visit me in New York because they all live in Canada and not just in Canada, but in Western Canada. So it's a long trip. New York is very expensive. It's not particularly friendly to someone who wants to come here uh, because I don't have an apartment where I can just say stay in my guest room. They would have to sleep on my kitchen table. That particular visit in March meant so much to me because... Our mother had passed away six months earlier. You know, my mother passed away, she was 90. And when you say that to people, they always go, oh, well, come on, you know, she lived a long life. Agreed, I I agree. But let me tell you something, she wasn't ready to leave this world and I wasn't particularly ready for her to go. It, It surprised us. It... We just felt she was invulnerable. You know, I remember this day spending with her in hospice. I was there and it was late September in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is always cold. But it was uncharacteristically beautiful, sunny, like a summer day. And my mother wanted to go outside. Now, the hospice had this little garden area. My mother is a huge gardener an expert gardener, and she wanted to go to this little garden. Now, she couldn't walk at the time, and it was actually even hard for her to move, but we, with the help of 
the bed on wheels and oxygen tanks on long extension cords and everything. We wheeled her out to this garden for tea. And I sat there with my mom looking at the petunias and geraniums. You know, she was remarking about how beautiful they were and how good they looked because I will say that my mother as an expert gardener was also a ruthless gardener, which is by the way, how you become a good gardener. You have to be kind of intense about it. She wouldn't endlessly tend to a plant that was not doing well, okay? At a certain point, if it wasn't doing well, she would throw it out and start again. She would just go like, do not keep ugly plants. You know, you try, you try, you try, and at a certain point, you just gotta let them go. So I remember us admiring these well-tended blooming flowers, and she was saying in between sips of tea, I can't believe I get to see this day. And honestly, I I didn't know exactly what she meant. (laughs) And I was too afraid to ask. She died two days later. And uh, the day after she passed away, it snowed. I've lived in fear of my mother dying my entire life. I think the moment I could do any arithmetic, I was always minusing years and ages and I guess acting like a a young actuary might. And my whole life, I never pictured the funeral, probably because I was too afraid of what the words would be spoken, what the procedure and the process would be like. It's, by the way, so incredibly standard. Uh, It rarely strays from what you think it might be and how it is pictured in pop culture. My mother's funeral was a Jewish funeral, so they didn't start with that dearly beloved speech, by the way. It was in Hebrew. All the prayers were in Hebrew, which I am frankly grateful for. But I do remember it being very stark and cold. Six months later, I'm back in New York, you know, because the world keeps marching on and you have to get back to it wherever you are at. And so when my sister said she was coming to visit me, it really held a lot of weight. I was in the early stages of grief. I think she was too, but dealing with it very differently in her own way. And I felt like her coming to see me in March was the beginning of a new tradition, you know, because the family gets all shuffled out of place when a parent dies and you have to reconfigure your relationships to each other. So this was the beginning of how we might find each other again. So it was March 10th. We were actually sitting in a crowded tapas bar eating with our hands oysters. It was noisy, there were babies crying. And we were all looking at alerts on our phone that we, I will tell you, regarded with kind of mild fascination. Going, huh, Broadway is shutting down? Wow, the NBA canceled their entire season. This is crazy. And then we walked back to my apartment in the beautiful spring air. And my sister said, do you think I should change my flight home before the border shuts down? And I was like, what are you talking about border shuts down? What do you mean? And we all know what happened next. The borders shut down and 
We thought it was going to change in two weeks. And if you're like me, you thought maybe it would change in two months. And then it was six months. And then it was a year. And I will tell you, it made me feel so panicky. I always felt far away from my family distance-wise. But now it seemed <laughs> like they, we might as well have been locked away from each other. That's what it felt like, actually locked away from each other. The phone was something, Zoom and all that was something, for sure. But I yearned to see these people in the flesh, and I was filled with this need to have a hug, I think, from my mother, which was impossible. And so I think I felt like a hug from my brothers or sisters would be some sort of replacement. Last summer, in order to get that hug, Ophira made plans to go to Victoria, B.C. and spend a whole month with Abigail. Then Delta came. Afira has a son who's too young to get vaccinated, so they canceled their plans. And I was so distraught, but my sister did not seem too worked up. And it really hurt me. And I will say this, as close as we are, we are not emotionally close. And I don't know how everybody else's family functions who have endured many tragedies, because our family has endured many tragedies and crises of all different sizes and uh, uh, factors. Um, But in a weird way, we don't speak very emotionally, maybe because we're always just going to cry if we opened up that door. I don't know. We've collectively just endured so much. But extremely uncharacteristic of me, I decided to take a chance and be vulnerable. And I uh, Zoomed with my sister and told her how hurt I was that she didn't seem worked up that after all this time and everything that we have been going through, she didn't seem that freaked out that we couldn't get together. You know what I hate about Zoom? Seeing your own crying face reflected back at you. I've only seen it once and it is one of the most horrible things. It is whatever vulnerability you're feeling, it is extra vulnerable. And also you make judgments on how you look crying. Anyhow, uh, so I could, I, I could even see though through our pixelated screens that she was very uncomfortable and she was freaked out by the whole thing and she was receptive and said, you know, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna change this. You know what? October, Canadian Thanksgiving's in October, we're gonna make a plan. And she decided uh, this was a, actually a huge gesture that she was gonna fly across Canada just north of me so I could drive up. So I thought about this plan every single day from August till when we left in October. The plan was for Abigail to meet Ophira and her family in Kingston, Ontario, just north of the American border. I was so nervous when we were driving there just because I put so much weight on this entire trip and how I built it up and how it was supposed to be this moment where I guess time would start moving again and I would get all of the emotional uh, needs I had met from my family and we got to the hotel and my sister was there and she came down to meet us. And you know what? She really did look like she did on Zoom and FaceTime. She looked exactly the same, but I hadn't seen, I guess, the back of her head for a long time either. And we hugged, we just hugged for a long time. Like one of those hugs where you give up sometimes and then the person goes against, you're like, okay, we're back in it. And I cried and she cried. 
and it was amazing and also a little uncomfortable. We went for a walk, to, you know, that's something we would do with my mother all the time, just go on these walks. And but I got to tell you, this walk was uncomfortable. It was a little too windy. We were cold. My five-year-old son was just um, not being a well-behaved kid, probably just feeding off all this energy. And I was yelling at him and I felt like a crappy mother. And my sister was kind of judging me and telling me I needed more boundaries. And it really irritated me. And then we got back to the hotel and she said that she needs some time alone to do some work. And I just felt rejected upon rejected. I felt rejected by her. I felt rejected by the world. I was like, the my needs will never get met. I went to the hotel pool with my son who was just happily splashing around. But my brain was elsewhere. I was just so sad that I was not soothed, that I would never be soothed. And also that I was alone. My sister, my maybe replacement mother, honestly, if I were to be truthful about it, uh, was taking everything so for granted, so casually. Like, how could she? How could she take me for granted? After Abigail had finished her work, she, Ophira, and Ophira's son got together for dinner. We stumbled across this cool place that had fire pits. Oh my God, five-year-old kids love fire pits. You know who else loves fire pits? Me, I love fire pits. Oh my God, I love fire pits. Okay, so we were in front of a fire pit ordering food. I ordered my son a huge plate of French fries. He was in utter bliss. And we got a couple glasses of wine and sort of relaxed and started talking and relating. And at one point, my son put his arms around my sister sideways, kind of like a baby koala clinging to its mom. And I can't say I've ever seen him do that before. I would have done it too, if, uh, but that would have been really weird as an adult to do that. So I just started taking a million photos with my iPhone. You know, I was, I was basically hiding behind this four by three screen in an attempt to control and document us squeezing every precious moment out of this reunion. Like this was it and I was never gonna let go. It was half nice and it was half me going crazy, trying to live in the moment. And then my son started whining because it was way past his bedtime. I was battling him. Uh, you know, reality was uh, just reality. And I, I didn't want to go back to it. I wanted to live in this little bubble of a fire pit dinner that we were having and connecting. And I started whining because I wanted to live in a moment forever. And my whining was just like a whisper of smoke of the emotional turmoil that was churning inside of me. And then I felt just this cold French fry whip me in the face. And it was my sister, and she just whipped me again in the face with this cold French fry and said, don't be silly, don't be silly. Just put him to bed, don't worry, we have tomorrow, and we have the whole next day to hang out. And I just looked at her like, what are you talking about? It's not enough. But she wasn't living in this hyper state of grasping every second so tight that it would never get away. Uh, and because of that, she seemed so less um, 
exhausted. <laughs> you know what? I remembered what that used to feel like. Just believing that things would be there tomorrow. Just the freedom of that, the relief of that. The, you know, it's, it's not really a goodbye. It's a see you soon. It's so beautiful. That's so beautiful, that feeling. That is, that is soothing. But that's pretty easy to empathize with considering, I think that's an experience that a lot of people have had in the last couple of years. Like I miss mom, I miss uncle Larry. And then you see mom or uncle Larry and you're like, oh yeah, there's still things about mom or uncle Larry that kind of piss me off. You know, like I, I've built this up as something because I haven't been able to have it. I built it up to being perfection or, or, or filling a, filling a space in me that feels open. And then you see them and you're like, oh no, they're just, they're just another human being. They're one that I love. And my intelligent mind knows this. Like I, of course, like I, if someone were to throw this to me, I would just look at them like, what, how, of course you've lived on this planet, you know, of course, it's like the basis to uh, have human relationships is, is just seeing someone and being like, oh yeah, this is what it is. And family dynamics are deep. Like you establish dynamics with different family members at a very early age and trying to break out of those is extraordinarily difficult. I even have it with being the youngest. Like I am, I am of a uh, of an age where for someone to call me the youngest is almost a huge compliment. Yet I'm still treated like I'm figuring things out, and you know I make mortgage payments. You know, <laughs> like I buy I buy anti wrinkle cream. Yet, but I'm still treated like the baby. Right. Well, yeah. and to the point to the point where maybe none of your other siblings would be looking for a surrogate mom. But as the youngest, maybe you're looking for that replacement among an older family member, yes, be it someone, your sister. Someone to, uh, someone in some way to tell me to that it's all going to be okay. And like, you know, enough, enough. Get up, get going. Get up and get going. Get on with it. We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. And we did see each other the next day. And we did see each other the whole day after that. And in a few months, we are going to see each other again. And I've been thinking about that French fry in the face moment for a long time since I saw her a few months ago. I think about it every day because I'm telling you, is my goal as we emerge or whatever we're doing right now, as I continue to grieve, is uh, to also take gratitude uh, with a grain of salt. And I mean that in the sense that I think it's, I think I want to take things for granted a bit again in the healthiest way, you know, because that is what that song's always meant to, to me. You know, the funeral thing at the beginning, it's uh, what I thought about it again. It's like we're gathered here today, yes, to mourn, to pay tribute, to remember, but it's also just to uh, get through this thing called life. And instead of asking how much time is left, ask how much of your mind, baby. Because in this life, things are much harder than the afterworld. In this life, you're on your own. Hey friend, thanks for listening. 
The Volume Knob is a weekly exploration of the way music makes us feel. It's produced by Semlovin Audio, and it's hosted, mixed, edited, written, and sound designed by me, the podcast producer who also loves both French fries and fire pits. My name is Keith Seri. Many thanks to Ophira for her amazing story this week. Be sure to get over to the Volume Knob website, that's www.volumeknob.net, to read show notes with links to all sorts of stuff that Ophira has done, including her appearance on The Late Late Show. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the Volume Knob mailing list to receive our newsletter. And finally, my thanks to Katie for her 30-second review of Let's Go Crazy. This week, Katie is joined by a special guest. What's so funny? The dog is getting involved in our review today. Okay, so tell me what you think. Um, well, I thought it's good. Like, it's a good song, but I thought that there was one problem with it, which is at the end, it kind of sounded like they were pouring acid on the guitars, and then it just made, like, a really weird whining noise. You didn't like the guitar solo, which for me is amazing, because that's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole song. Well, it's, it's just at the very end, but, like, the guitar for the rest of it, it's good. It's just at the end, it's like, and then it's terrible. That was pretty terrible. I know, right? Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you in two weeks with another story about the songs that saved your life.